So we're in Romans chapter 14, title of my message is Righteousness, Peace, and Joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, that's the main three verses. Can I get these lights down a little bit? Sorry, I can barely see. Um, so we're, we're looking at righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit tonight, which is something I'm working on, as you can tell. Um, so as you know, we've been in the book of Romans. The first, like, 11 chapters are building up what we believe, and that is, like, like Paul shapes, like, what you believe first before he shapes or tells you how to behave. So, like, I love that about Paul. He doesn't just give us, like, a bunch of, like, information and then says, go out and, like, you know, now try to apply all this. He actually gives us the, the beliefs we need to go forward. And so, um, so, so my main idea tonight is Paul gives us clear, practical guidelines for the believers in Rome. The Christian life is not abstract theology unconnected with life, but it has practical implications that will affect how we choose to behave each day. Uh, it's not enough merely to know the gospel. We must let it transform our lives and let God impact every aspect of our lives. So that's kind of what we're looking at. Let's go, let's go into some prayer before this is a long chapter, and I'll, I won't read the whole thing. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you, God, for uh, your word and that it's faithful and it's powerful and uh, we can open up your word and allow it to speak to us. Thank you, God, that it never returns void, um, that you're faithful to give us what we need um, at just the right time. God, I ask right now that you just move me out of the way. Um, I confess any, any part of me that would not want to teach your word well. I pray that um, only what is from you would, would stick um, and what's not of you would fall to the ground. Father, I just bind the enemy right now um, who's distracting us as we speak. He doesn't want your word um, to move out, and I just pray that you bind him and, and, and um, bind every distraction right now and just give us a spirit of unity as we open your word. Father, um, fill us up right now. Um, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Um, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Um, we don't want another service. We want to really meet with you, so we ask that you encounter us right now. Jesus, um, yeah, glorify your name, move in our midst, and uh, transform our lives for your glory, Jesus, in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So, in chapter 14, in the last chapter last week, thank you for the lights, um, we looked at submission to governing authorities, how, okay, like, God did all of this great stuff for us, why? So we could live differently. So if our practical theology doesn't affect our practical living, then there's something going wrong. I've always heard it say, if your Sunday morning or your Thursday night doesn't affect your Monday morning, then there's something going wrong. Like, our faith should affect our lives. It shouldn't be something we just profess, but something that moves past what we profess to our beliefs and also the way we act. So here we are. We've gone through chapter 11, uh, building up our identity in Christ. You know, in chapter 8, we have the life in the spirit. Chapter 7, we have the life in the flesh. We've looked at how we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. We've looked at how we're not justified by works, but by faith through grace. We've looked at how all men are evil, right? No one's good. No one's, no one's good, not one. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Romans chapter 11, we looked at how God has a hope for Israel, and he actually wants to restore Israel, and they're not out of the plan. Um, and now, the last two weeks, we're in 12 and 13, looking at how to, live for the, uh, how to live properly among governing authorities, and then in chapter 12, how to love one another, right? And how to, how to submit ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. But tonight, 
we're in chapter 14 and we're looking at the weak and the strong. That the idea in this passage is about how we all have different consciences and different faiths and, and weak faith and strong faith and learning how to navigate that in a good way. Um, and learning how we can be um, united instead of disunited or, or divided, right? So before I go in, I'm gonna, uh, I want to share a story. Uh, there's a story of a girl in a, in a, in a local church, uh, not from here, um, who when she would worship, she would dance flamboyantly. You know, those people that like move from side to side and they raise their hands. They're not, you know, they don't just sit there like they're chosen or frozen. They're actually excited. So this girl, <clears throat> she would stand in the front row and sing. She would dance and worship God with all her might every week. And right behind her were a row of guys that were regulars in the church, you know, the spiritual elite Christians. And um, this girl knew that she danced kind of flamboyantly when she worshiped God. And she told the pastor of the church why she did that in her story. And the pastor said, that's okay. <laughs> you be you. You keep dancing the way you want. This is a free place. I think uh, she, he tells her that uh, David was undignified. He danced to God with all his might when he worshiped. And it's, it's okay to dance to God, right? It's a safe place. We shouldn't judge each other. And as, as he does that, um, the people, so she's in the front row, and behind her is the group of guys, and then right behind them is the pastor and his wife. And the pastor and the wife hear the men in the second row judge the girl in the front row who's worshiping God with all her might, saying, look at that girl. How dare her attract attention to herself? Doesn't she know it's not about the outward display? It's about the heart with a very religious, condescending, judgmental tone. Um, these people judged their sister. Um, and the pastor saw this, and he, um, he went up to the guy, one of the guys in the second row, and he said, remember when I first picked you up from church? <laughs> remember when I first invited you here, how you were no different? And how you shouldn't have to take a trip down memory lane to remember where you came from? that when I picked you up that day from church, you weren't really doing well either. Um, and how dare you d judge this girl? And the pastor says, this girl dances like that because when she came to church, at first she was a cutter who would hurt herself. She had no hope, and she said, sorry, I feel awkward when I dance and worship like this, but I feel like reminding the devil I'm still here. So in this instance, we have these people judging this young girl who little do they know her story, they have judged her by the chapter they have walked in on. I've once heard it said, don't judge somebody's story by the chapter you walked in on. So you never know when you're outwardly judging somebody in the front row who's worshiping God with all their might um, and saying, look at them attracting attention. Now, little do they know that this girl had been cutting herself, she was suicidal, and that she worshiped God the way she did because she wanted to remind the devil that she had changed. So I, the reason I share that is <clears throat> it's so easy as we do life together to judge each other over petty indifferences and different styles. But we have to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is that in all things love. So my first point tonight is in essentials liberty and non-essentials unity and everything love. And the reason I share that story is it ties into this. It could be as simple as something as someone being charismatic and someone not, and you judge your brother in Christ 
that they worship God differently than you, and you tear them down. In that instance, that girl um, was discouraged. She should have been loved by the people in the second row. She should have been accepted by them, but instead she was torn down, and little did they know what she had been through. So in that same way, um, in Romans chapter 14, we see that um, there's a lot of uniqueness in this chapter. We have Jews and Gentiles, poor and, poor and rich people, weak and strong, trying to do church together. And when you have people like that together, it's, it's a rough melting pot is what they like to say. And they're all trying to get along, and they're also trying to keep God in the center of, of it all. And in that same way, um, in this quote, you, you hear the saying, an, an essentials unity and not essentials liberty and everything love. So that means they had a lot of non-essential stuff to fight about, like, like certain temple, like idols and stuff that were sacrificed, uh, meat was sacrificed to idols and temples. And then the same meat was cut up and, and, and sold at the bazaars, another word for the store. And some people were, their consciences like destroyed them when they saw that, that like people would eat that, right? But other people didn't really care. In that same way, um, they had to learn to keep the unity where it mattered. So like in the essential doctrines, having unity. So that means like, okay, Jesus is son of God. Okay, we have to agree on that. We have to agree that uh, there is the Trinity. We have to agree that um, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And, and the Apostles' Creed, we have to agree on those things. But when it comes to the non-essential things, there's liberty, all right? You might get excited about God, and you might believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and someone else might not, but that's not enough for you to split fellowship over. It's saying in everything, I'm going to keep love, even though these people don't agree with me and they don't uh, worship the way I do. I'm going to choose to love my brother and sister more than I'm going to choose my own selfish motive or feeling heard or uh, in any way. So I want to share a quote here. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of useless, harmful division among Christians over silly, bigoted things. <laughs> Paul isn't telling these Christians to erase their differences. He tells them to rise above them as Christian brothers and sisters. So we're not called to erase our differences. We're going to have them. When you have a melting pot of people here from 12 to 15 different types of churches, different beliefs, you're going to have differences. And you might go to Applebee's and there might be some arguments afterwards. Um, you know, there might be some spiritual flexing um, a little bit. But as long as we rise above that and remember we're brothers and sisters in the end of that in Christ and keep the main thing the main thing, and that is Jesus, we're going to be okay. So in that same way, um, it's okay to have these quarrels and arguments with other people as long as they're done in love. There's a difference between arguing to the point where you tear your brother down or sister down or actually sharing ideas. I think church should be a safe place. Thrive isn't a church, but uh, we are a group of believers, and I think it should be a safe place to share ideas. So like I, I saw this a couple weeks ago at Applebee's where there's a bunch of different ideas being thrown around, but um, a lot of arguing, and, but in healthy arguing, like sharing ideas that were good so that we could all come to a fuller understanding of Jesus and the word of God. And I actually came out of that, that uh, not argument, but discussion more in love with God and more, uh, man, I want to know the word more. And 
I want to be, <laughs> I want to be more in tune with the Spirit, and I want to know what I believe and why I believe it, because theology affects our, our lives, right? Like, what you believe affects the way you live, right? So, like, um, yeah, our thoughts are powerful in that way. All right, my second point. Um, how about we read some of this, actually? All right, you guys have your Bibles? Let's go to chapter 14. Accept him, this is verse 1, whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. I love verse 7. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Amen? For this very reason, Christ died and returned so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. As surely as I say, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. And this is where it gets good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but a righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and proved by men. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. So my second point, um, I want to look at verse 10 to, th- 10 to 12. And it's weak faith versus strong faith. Um, we are all weak in some areas and strong in others. Strong faith comes out. In an area, if we can survive contact with sinners without falling into their patterns. If if it's a weak area, we must avoid certain activities, people, or places in order to protect our spiritual life. So all that to say, you're, you're the expert on you. I heard one great quote that said that. Like, no one knows you more than yourself. Amen? Like, you know what you like for breakfast. You know... It's, if it's Eggs Benedict or Breakfast Burrito, you know what TV show you like. You know when, when you want to just chill. You know when you want to go have fun. Um, you're the expert on you. So in that same way, uh, there is no, like, people read this passage and they're like, oh, there's the weak Christians. And then there's the strong Christian, like the us versus them. No offense, but we're all weak and strong Christians. There's nobody here who has strong faith in every area of your life. If you did, you're Jesus Christ, and you're in heaven right now. So hold on to that right now, that you might look at this passage, and if you read this chapter and you think, that's for my sister, that's for my mom, that's for my dad and my grandpa and my niece, then you're reading the Bible wrong. 
This is like a note of advice, like you're the bad guy in the passage, and God's the good guy. No offense, like we're the bad guy, he's the good guy. So whenever we see bad examples, that's what we are, and, 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 that is, and then you see a good example, that is Jesus. But through our faith in Christ, we can become more like Jesus. So in that same way, um, you're the expert on you, so what are some li- things in your life that um, you can like in terms of weak faith, what are some areas in your life that when you go out, you find yourself stumbling into sin? What are some things that you can't do without being stumbled? You're the expert on you. If you know going out and partying is hard for you, why do you keep doing it? When you know that being around those people, you will sin again. If you know that you can't handle a certain person, why are their numbers still in your phone? If you know that you're strong, you might think, I can handle this, but, but you deceive yourself. The Bible says, take heed lest you fall. So even the strongest of us are not, are not immune to temptation, are not immune to being tempted and giving in. So the reason I share that is, it is important we take self-inventory of ourselves to find our own strengths and weaknesses When in doubt, ask yourself, can I do this without sinning? Can I influence others for good rather than being influenced by them? In areas of strength, though, I'm not saying you're all weak. We're all all weak, but we're also strong in some areas. There are areas of strength. We should not fear being defiled by the world. Rather, we should go and serve God. In In our areas of weakness, we do need to be cautious, though. In that same way, Jesus came to this world, and he went out to the darkest streets, and he the light shines the brightest in the dark, right? In that same way, you have strength and you have grace on your life to go into spheres of influences that only you can go to. There's people that only you can reach that I can't, right? There's people you come into contact with tomorrow at the shipyard or the nursing home or college that I won't get come in contact with. In that same way, God has given you strong faith in areas If you have strong faith in those areas, go. Go and be with the sinners. Go and love these sinners. But don't let that be a sacrifice for your holiness. Don't ever say, ministry should never replace our souls. Amen? Because if you put ministry on the altar above God, then that's idolatry. So in that same way, choose your soul's well-being over your ministry or how many people you reach. I once I met this guy, I won't mention names, a few years ago, and he had just come out of a huge lifestyle, partying, drinking, being around the wrong people. And I'm hanging out with him. He's like, yeah, I was at a party last week. And uh, yeah, man, I was just sharing the gospel with all these people. It was so great. I'm like, okay, like, but uh, what else is going on there? Oh, yeah, they're drinking and doping it up. And uh, a lot of other stuff was going on. And <laughs> I had to rebuke this brother in love. I'm like, Man, you just came out of this last week, and you're back hanging out with these people. Like, no offense, like, we should reach the world. But if you're weak in your conscience still, and you're hanging out in a group like that, you need to choose your holiness over reaching those people. Because there are other people that are strong enough to go reach those people. But you don't need to meet them in their sphere, in their area, in their arena, and think, all right, I'll be fine. You need to choose your holiness first, and God will bless that. 
So there are many reasons why a Christian might be weak. <laughs> they may be a baby in Christ. Babies are weak. <laughs> they may be sick or diseased by legalism. That can be an area. They may be malnourished by lack of good teaching. They may lack exercise, needing exhortation. So when a faith is immature faith, it has not yet developed a muscle it needs to stand against external, external pressures. So I have two examples of that. There's, there's one man in this passage, we look at how it talks about accept him who's weak, and then it goes into examples of people that um, ate meat and people that ate vegetables. And then you have people that, in this passage, that um, would celebrate certain days and some would not, right? So imagine this, there's a guy who just got saved in this time, in the Roman times, and this guy's a Jew, and he's used to celebrating the Jewish holy days, right? So these certain days come up, and he's saved, and he knows that he's not saved by celebrating these certain days, but this believer now could still be stumbled when those days come around. So like when it's Yom Kippur or whatever, and this guy's feeling, he's seeing all his Jewish friends out there celebrating and, and getting their works on, and he's like, I know I'm not saved by works, but he sees that. He might be stumbled by that. So just because just he's saved doesn't mean he's still not stumbled by that. And then the other one is, um, a modern example of that is, um, or for example, let's say this person used to um, worship idols, right? But then these idols actually meat was sacrificed to these idols, and like I told you guys earlier, then the meat was taken to the bazaar and it was slain, and then people would buy meat sacrificed to idols. For a normal person that didn't struggle with that in that time, it didn't matter. They want their steak. They want their filet mignon. They want the bacon, right? But for a believer that just came out of that, who used to actually worship idols, even though he knows those idols are worthless and they're not worth anything, but now is a believer, he still might see that and see people eating that meat, and he might be stumbled by that. You don't know that. So those are some, like, examples from the, the text. But a modern one I thought of was an example is a new believer who's saved out of a lifestyle of alcoholism. And let's just say he's learning to walk out his newfound faith, and he sees his pastor at a restaurant having a beer. This could stumble this new believer's faith and cause him to go back into that lifestyle. I know many pastors, because of this, this example that's actually true, that's happened, refuse to drink in public settings because they don't want to stumble other believers. They would not risk stumbling someone Christ died for rather than exercise their personal freedom in Christ. In everything, love. That is love. Like, as hard as that is to share, like, that can be hard, but we need to choose our brothers and sisters' well-being and their love and, and their, their, their faith over our personal freedom. Because like, like the story I shared in the beginning, that lady dancing in the front row, you might judge that lady, but you don't know she was cutting herself and she was hopeless with, before God came into her life. And we need to be aware um, of the people around us. So my third point is be strong in your faith, but be sensitive to others' needs. You are not an island. You affect everyone you see. And your faith either can build somebody up or tear them down. 
you are a part of an organism called the body of Christ, and, and you either build that organism up or you take away from that organism. Um, reminds me of uh, Stranger Things. Uh, I love that show. Anyone here watch that? Let's, I'll come down to earth a little bit. So in season two, you have, you have Will Byers, right? He is, he's been in the upside down. He's got that like crazy tentacle thing in his mouth. You're like, ah. And the whole season one, you're like, no spoilers, right? But I'm going to spoil it for you guys. Um, like, Will, we got to find Will. Will's the man. And, and then, you know, you're, you're emotionally attached from season one on. You're like, we got to find this kid. He's awesome. They find him, and he's got this thing in his mouth, and they pull it out, and they give him CPR, and he's saved. And in the sec- at the end of the first season, he's spitting up slugs in the sink. Remember that? That's so gross. And then season two, they show up, and Will's back. No, he's not. Will is actually now a pawn for the Mind Flayer. And next thing you know, he's, like, hanging out with them, and he's, like, he wants it cold, and he's like rubbing his arm and going around and putting ice in the tub and, you know, doing all this weird stuff, and he's like hanging out in super cold stu- weather, and next thing they know, this guy is like giving all the details away, all the stuff to the mind flare. He's giving away the, 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 the news. So like they're hiding in a place, and he actually, they have to cover his eyes. Remember that? They cover his eyes. And they cover his, his ears because if he hears or sees anything, he can give that to the mind flare by, by his thoughts. So the reason I share that is <laughs> by the end of season two, um, they have to take Will and take him in a sauna. Was it a sauna or they had to just heat up the house? And this, this spirit had to come out of him before they could really trust him again. So in that same way, when, when uh, the mind flare comes out of Will and then they, they, kill, they kill the head of the mind all the other minions, remember the little demi-dogs? They all die at once. Remember that? Like when they take care of closing the wall, it's the wall. They close the wall or the, the gate. Um, and then all of them are dead, right? In that same way, I know it's a really bad illustration, but that's what you get. Um, in terms of that, Will and then the Mind Flare is affected by all, well, all the minions are affected by the head of the, the church. In that same way, you are a part of, I know that's opposite of that, but in the kingdom of God, we are a part of his kingdom and we are an organism and we affect one another for good, not for evil like demi-dogs and all that crap. <laughs> but you matter and you're a part of the body and you encourage everyone when you show up. And when you don't and you, you, you withhold your faith and your evangelism, people are hurt by that as well. So make sure you are living up to what God's called you to live up to because if you're, 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 you're uh, squandering your gift, then you'll lose out on what God has for you. So my point, be strong in the faith and sensitive to others' needs. Uh, We see um, verse 13 says, Stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So both strong and weak Christians can cause their brother to stumble or sister to stumble. Strong and insensitive Christian may flaunt their freedom and intentionally offend others' consciences. The scrupulous <laughs> but weak Christian may try to fence others in with petty rules and regulation, thus causing dissension. We are all strong and weak in areas. We must constantly monitor how our behavior affects others. By the way, the word, the word 
Scrupulous means being very concerned about doing wrong. So this is somebody who's weak in the faith that is legalistic, and they believe that by earning and, and acting right, they can earn God's love. And this person might make up rules and regulations. They might have a conscience thing that they struggle with, but instead of running in their own lane, they're like, everyone has to do this with me. Like, for example, you know, like the whole, man, how do I illustrate that? Maybe like uh, this person, this new believer, this scrupulous believer, believes in no media, right? No TV, no shows, nothing. So he might judge someone like me who likes Stranger Things. And I'm like, hey, man, you want to watch Stranger Things? No, man, that's the devil. You know what I mean? And he's like, you got you to gotta be like me and no media at all. No media at all. I'm like, hey, man, that's your conscience. That's what God's called you to do. And yes, I respect you, brother. I love you so much. Keep doing your thing. But you don't have to force that on everyone else, right? Some people are okay with watching media, right, and, and being involved in that. Some people aren't. It's a matter of conscience. And in the end of the day, um, the, the strong Christian can cause others to stumble because they think, oh, look at me, I'm so strong, I'm going to flaunt my freedom and offend other people. It's like, yeah, I can drink and I don't get stumbled by it, I don't get drunk, so I'm going to go around and drink in public and, and just show off that I, that I have this freedom. But little do I care if you had just come out of alcoholism and you see that. I don't give a crap about what you think. I'm going to exercise my freedom. And both sides aren't good. So we have to find that middle ground of um, we're going to be strong in our faith, but above all, we're going to accept one another first. We're going to put each other above ourselves because that's what the body's about. The body isn't about you. It's about each other. It's about God. So my uh, third point is each person is accountable to Christ in the end, not to others. So... um, in this passage, we see it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God and we will all answer to God in the end. That means that when you're done with your race and you stand before God and God's like, all right, my faithful servant, what's up? And you're like, what about him? What about Jeremiah? He did that. He's like, yo, you, worry about yourself. Like you, run in your own lane. Stop comparing yourself with everyone else. Uh, this example is kind of what with Peter in the Bible where right after Peter denies Jesus and he's back fishing again and Jesus calls him out and he said, Peter, do you love me three times? And then he said, yeah, I love you. And then, and then he tells him, you're going to be crucified, right? You're going to die for me. And then John, and then he's like, what? What about John? What about John? John's over there. He's looking at me weird. Jesus, what about John? He's like, why does it matter to you? Don't worry about John. What, what does it matter if he lives till I come? And he takes it a step further, and he's like, he could live till I come. And he's like, he's like, you run your own race. He said, you do what I say. So in that same way, we live in a time and age where comparison has become a norm. We go through Facebook, and we watch everyone's highlight reels of their life and think, man, how do they have it all together? And little do we know, that's a snapshot of their life. They put their highlight reels up, but little do they know, do you know they're struggling just as much as you are. They're a human being as well. And then we compare and contrast. I once heard it say, comparison is the thief of joy. So when you compare with somebody, your, your joy is being robbed. And then also another quote said, comparison kills compassion. So you can't have compassion on people you compare with. If you're always comparing bench presses with other people, you're never going to be able to love that person. And in high school, it was bench presses, right? And now it's like, what is it, uh, six figures, salaries, 
degrees. You know, it never stops. It's always something. We're always, we're clawing and there's this rat race. But um, God's saying, run in your own lane, man. Because at the end of your life, I'm not going to ask how Jeremiah did. I'm not going to ask how your boy Michael Bautersa did. I'm going to ask how you did, David. How were you faithful to what you were called to do? How were you faithful to what you were called to do? He's going to ask you. So run in your own lane. Eyes on the prize. It says in Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Run with perseverance. Cast off all your sins and weights and run for the joy set before you. It doesn't say run and compare and compete with your brother. It says run and keep your eyes on Jesus. And our hope should be to lift each other up, right? So... I love how Paul in verse 17 of 14, chapter 14 says, the kingdom of God isn't of eating or drinking, but it's of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Amen? So God's like, okay, my kingdom isn't all about eating and drinking. My kingdom isn't about gloom, doom, and depression. Have you ever met Christians that are worse off than the world? They're like, God, I, my life sucks, and I have all these burdens to bear, and I'm just always down and I just have all these rules I got to bear. And God's like, no, I've called you to righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite mentors says, the moment I gave my life to Christ 30 years ago, the party began. And that party hasn't ended yet and it's only going to get gooder and gooder. And that's what I believe. I really believe that God, living for God in his terms is a party. Amen? Have you ever worshipped God with all your might and met with him? And tasted him and said, wow, this is good. This is really good. I don't need my sin. I don't need what I used to get into. I can worship God and he satisfies me. That is what you're called to. You're not called to a kingdom of gloom and doom. You're called to righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. And you know what? You owe people that encounter. You owe people that encounter with righteousness, joy, and peace. Because people in your world and your spheres of influence are hungry and they're dying and they, they look to you, and you might be the person that could lead them to faith. You might be the person that says, you know what? There is a way out. There is a bridge. There is a, a path to life. There is a path to resurrection. And that is through Jesus. And this is, this is good because it, this is what you're called to. And I love that about our faith. It's not religion, it's relationship. And when we live for God, fountains of living water flow up within us and it pours out on everyone around us, right? You soak up the truth and the truth comes out. So we are called to pursue the higher purpose of God's kingdom. So all the stuff that we do to prefer our brothers and sisters is for the kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. If we're arguing about petty indifferences, how can we live and promote the kingdom of God? If that's why it says it's not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, joy, and peace. So don't let the, the minors keep you from the majors. I've always heard don't major in the minors. So keep your mind on the, on the truth of God's word. All right, so um, my next point is everything we do affects others, and we have to think of them constantly, and this is kind of coming around. Uh, we are interdependent, not independent. Our sins are not private. We don't sin in a vacuum. And I know I'm driving this home. Um, 
We must understand that from beginning to end, our life is connected to others' lives. Paul reminds the Roman Christian, no man's an island. Do not put a stumbling block or cause a brother to fall in your way. We might stumble or cause our brother to fall in two ways. We can discourage or beat them down through our legalism against them, or we can do it by enticing them to sin through an unwise use of our liberty. If Jesus was willing to give up his life for the sake of his brother, I can certainly give up my steak dinner. I love that. That's really good. So everything we do, we have to think of, everything we do affects others, and we have to think of them constantly. A a sign of maturity in the body of Christ isn't somebody who's all about themselves. It's about somebody who's lost themselves in Christ and lost themselves in serving others. Amen? Whenever you look at someone who's mature in Christ, they're usually, their life's characterized by faithfulness, service, and humility, integrity. In that same way, Paul's calling us here. He's saying, he's saying, man, your life affects everyone around you and and you should be aware of that, and you should leverage that truth for good, right? In that same way, whoever you surround yourself with, you become like. So if you hang out around fools, you're going to become like a fool. But if you hang out around good people, you become like those people that you worship with. So in that same way, let's use the power of community for good. Let's use community to build each other up, not tear each other down. And that can look like gossip. That can look like, again, judging somebody because they might get into worship more than you. Okay, Last time I checked, worshiping God with abandon was good. You know, and that's what we were called to do. Um, So we have to be aware of that. All right, so I want to look at this verse. I really got wrecked by this, Michael. Um, By the way, Michael gave me two chapters to preach on. So this this is a lot of stuff. So thanks for your grace tonight. I'm I'm trying to, this has been challenging for me, but good. Um, I'm really glad I got this, this passage. All right, so um, I want to read, now we're in chapter 15, so I want to read verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Wow, is that good or what? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So my, my next point is the knowledge of the scriptures affects our attitude toward the present and the future. Just, just look at this verse with me. Okay, so you, you see verse 4. <laughs> this actually blew my mind. I was studying this the other night. Um, it says, everything was written, right? So it's talking about the word, in the past to teach us. So the word's written to teach you. And then it says, so that through endurance and encouragement, you by the word, might have hope. So I love that. So you're like, okay, sick. God's word, endurance, encouragement, hope. Anyone here relate to that? Anyone ever gotten in God's word and met with the living God and found your life just be encouraged? Come on, amen. Or, or found yourself like so tired in a trial and so beat down and then get endurance been like, all right, I have an eternal perspective now. Okay, this life isn't it. There's good things to come. Heaven is coming, and my suffering isn't in vain. So you're like, okay, so the word of God, in verse 4 it says, was written to teach us that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. Check out verse 5. Then it goes, now may the God 
who gives endurance and encouragement, give you a spirit of unity among yourself as you follow Christ Jesus. There's repetition there. So whenever there's repetition in the Bible, you got to ask why. So here we have, so first it starts off, the word gives you endurance and encouragement. Then it says God gives you endurance and encouragement. Wow, that means God is the word. <laughs> so this, is, this word points to him. And his word gives endurance and encouragement. But even more, God gives greater endurance and encouragement and gives us unity among ourselves so that we can glorify God. God's word is supernatural and it changes us inside and out. Knowing God's faithfulness in the past will help us with greater confidence for the future. Amen? When you've seen him move in the past, you can, move, you can see him move again. I always say the best is yet to come. And I didn't, didn't, I didn't base that off of my own theology. That's the word of God. The kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, the best is yet to come. So when you're in God's word, God's word and you're diligently applying what it says, it will increase your trust in God's will for your life. And you won't have to be tossed and thrown like the wave of the ocean, but you can build your life on the solid foundation and your rock will be set. So I'm going to close here. A um, couple, couple last things. Um, basing off the passage, um, we must go out of our way to avoid favoritism. Uh, we're called to accept one another as Christ accepted us. So... As we do that, we must take people into our homes and hearts. We must share meals and activities. Um, we should spend time and greet people we don't normally talk to. We should minimize differences. We should seek common ground for fellowship and accept others in Christ. So those are some practical ways we can, we can show our acceptance to others in the faith is we don't just say it. We actually act on it, and we spend time with people we don't normally talk to. We build bridges, not burn them. Burn bridges, we build them. And we seek common ground for fellowship. So I want to close here. Um, there's a man with a story. I open with a story. I'll close with one. There's a man who came to church week after week. Um, and this man would show up and he'd sit in the front row. And every week the pastor would preach an awesome sermon. But before that he would ask, everyone stand up. Why don't you give a hug to your neighbor? And this guy would stand up. And he just hated that part. He's like, God, I just... Ah, I don't want to give anyone a hug. I don't want to come here. I don't, this is awkward. And week after week, though, he kept coming. Um, and one week, he just, out of the blue, gave his life to Christ. And the pastor's like, yo, what happened? Was it my sermon? You know, that saved your life. And he's like, no, man, no offense, pastor. Your sermons are good. But it was actually every week I would stand up and get hugged by somebody next to me that didn't even know me that this cold heart of mine was melting week after week after week because growing up, I was never hugged by my family. I was never loved. And, and that man was changed and he was transformed, not by a sermon, not by knowledge, but by love. What if we could be a people and a group that when people came around us, they felt more loved, more encouraged, more taken care of? What if they were accepted, not torn down, not stumbled? This is what God desires. A kingdom of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit puts others before ourselves. It is choosing love over division. It is dwelling in unity over pride. And who exemplify this more than Jesus? Jesus came 
to this earth. He became a man. He lived a perfect life. And he could have chosen to say, screw those guys. They can try out their own way and suffer. But he came and he took on flesh and he loved you to the end. I looked up the word for, for God's love and it's telos. In the Greek, that means to the end. God's love for you is to the end. It's forever. And he came here and he put on flesh and he lived a life that you and I could never live. And did Jesus stumble somebody? Did Jesus exercise his personal freedom on that cross when he hung between two criminals? And they said, Jesus, why don't you come out? Why don't you get off the cross? You said you're a miracle worker. And he said, no. And he believed in that moment he could have sent legions of angels and destroyed everybody. But did he choose to exercise his freedom and his power? No. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is, is power and it's, it's humility. And our God and our Jesus came for us and he chose our best interests and that is saving you. And he died on that cross and we see him on that cross hanging between two criminals. And he said, Father, Father, the worst part of the cross was when Jesus, the, the father turned his face away from Jesus and he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And the, the love of a father, here's God from the time of eternity, has fellowship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. For the first time in the history of the world, he, he has lost that fellowship. And I believe that moment hurt more than hell itself could have been. That moment hurt more than him being torn down by the whips. He got literally whipped to the point of recognition. Imagine looking at, a, at somebody just torn apart. That's what happened to our Jesus. But even worse than that was him being turned away from Jesus. And here we have Barabbas and Jesus. And, and what do the people say? We want Barabbas. Here's a rebel and a thug and a thief and a murderer. And here's a perfect man next to him. And then people say, we want Barabbas. And Barabbas comes out and as a rebel and a thug and a thief. And he smiles and he looks at everyone. He's like, the people love me. And he goes off, and Jesus goes off to the cross. Barabbas is free, and we wonder, well, who the heck is Barabbas? Why is he even in this story? And I always wondered, Barabbas is us. You're Barabbas. We're rebels, thugs, thieves, and murderers. And we spat in Jesus' face, and we threw up a middle finger and said, screw you, God, and what you did for me is not enough. That's you. That's me. And we chose our own way and we crucified Christ. We were the same people two weeks before that who praised him as he came on a donkey. We said, King of kings, Lord of lords. But the two weeks after, we're crucifying him on that cross. Don't look at that story and think that's not you. That's us. We were the ones who crucified Christ. We wanted our own way. But he still went to the cross willingly for you and me. And he died that death and he rose again. And he's changed you forever and ever. And this gospel is what we need to be reminded of every day. And that is what we need to be reminded of when we choose to hurt our brothers and we choose to tear our brothers down, sisters down for the sake of our own freedom. We need to choose the way of the cross and we need to choose our, our, each other's best interests over our own selfish interests. That is what love looks like. In everything, love. I have loved you to the end. So with that, I'm going to pray. Um, I'm just believing God's using the gospel in, in a fresh way again tonight. And so, Father God, we just thank you so much um, for tonight. We thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, God, that you use anyone to speak, um, including someone like me that you've redeemed and um, 
just use for you. And I just thank you, God, that tonight your word went out in power, not by a show or not by any kind of great works, but it was just your word. And I just thank you for that. I thank you for people here that have been touched. Uh, I do feel like your gospel went out tonight, Lord, and I pray that somebody here wants to respond to that, that tonight would be the night that they would receive you. Um, I don't usually always do this, but um, as with your heads closed and our uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, just um, if that's you tonight and you hear the gospel and you know that you're Barabbas and you know that you're not good and you need somebody to save you, today's the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Tomorrow is not promised. Tonight might be your last night. And God's calling you. He's drawing you tonight. If that's you, um, the Bible says make an outward declaration of your beliefs. So I'm going to ask you on three to raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus tonight. Uh, one, you'll never be the same. Two, Jesus loves you so much. Three, if that's you, just put up your hand with everyone's heads bowed, eyes closed, safe place. If that's you, you want to receive Christ tonight, just raise your hand. If you've fallen away from Christ and you've found yourself back in your own lifestyle and you just want to live the way you want to live, God's calling you back to repentance tonight. He's calling you back to the cross. That's you tonight, and you want to recommit your life to Christ because of what he did. On three, I want you to raise your hand. Um, one, two, three. If you want to just give your life back to Christ and surrender, God bless you, brother, sister. Um, that's you, brother, bless you. Bless you over there. Thank you. Thank you, God. If that's you, God, I just pray for every hand lifted right now that wants to recommit their life to you. They know that they are, they are not good, and they need you, and they need your gospel. I just pray um, that you just draw them in right now, Father God, to your gospel, to your love, and that they wouldn't be the same. God, move in our midst tonight. Bless small group. Um, we love you, God, and just bless our fellowship. Help us to serve one another and glorify your name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you.